0: Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Over the weekend, we individually studied Prakim Zion and Ches, 7 and 8. And I want to give a very brief overview of the narrative in those Prakim so that we're all caught up and on the same page. There, Yehoshua dispatches a group of soldiers to conquer the relatively small city of Ai, but those soldiers were unable to do so. It's the first setback in Sefer Yehoshua. Yehoshua discovers that the reason for this failure in battle is because there was a member of the Jewish people named Achan who had taken spoils from Yericho, from the previous battle, which you'll recall was strictly forbidden. We were not permitted to take the spoils of Yericho. Achan is then uh, seized and is killed, executed in front of all of the Jewish people, at which point Yehoshua hatches a, a much more elaborate scheme to conquer the city of Ai, with many more soldiers this time, and was ultimately successful. Following that, the Jewish people gather on Har Grizim and Har Eval, as was prescribed by Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah, and have what was a, a large Torah-teaching, covenant-affirming ceremony. That was the narrative of Prakim Zion and Ches, to very rich Prakim, which I encourage you, if you've not done so, to sit and read through, take a few minutes. There's so much that goes on in these Prakim, and I feel bad to not be able to give them a fuller treatment, but I leave that to you. Today, we will be discussing Perek Tess, which itself is a very juicy, fascinating, intriguing, rich Perek it opens by telling us that the kings of Canaan, the various different kings living in Canaan, heard about B'nai Yisrael's victories over Yericho, over Ai, presumably they heard about other miraculous events that took place, and they form a coalition. Up until now, they are distinct city-states, small fiefdoms, kings of small areas, and now they realize that their only hope in defeating the mighty B'nai Yisrael is to form this coalition and alliance and to fight them to fight the Bnei Israel together. Then we are told that the people of the city of Givon the Givonim have a different plan. They decide to hatch a bit of a of a ruse to deceive the Jewish people. And what they do is they arrive at the Israelite camp with moldy bread and with clothing that bears the sign of a long journey with holes and it's ripped and they look depleted and it makes it seem as if they've come from a very very distant land and they want to make peace with the Bene Israel that's how they present themselves and of course the people of Israel see no reason not to uh, create such a treaty as they did not present themselves as a nation living in Canaan and so they do they swear that they will uh, engage peacefully with their people, with the with the Givonim, of course, ultimately that is, uh, it's discovered that the people of uh, that, that the city of Givon is just a, a bit northwest of Jerusalem, right in the in the center of the land of Israel. Despite the fact that the Bnei Israel discover this deceit, they ultimately decide to honor the vow that they made, the vow of peace. However, Yehoshua curses the Givonites, the Givonim, that they will forever be the laboring class uh, in Kena'an. They will be tasked with menial work like water-carrying and wood-chopping. That's the, the, the narrative summary of what took place in this parak. To me, the essential question for interpreting this parak is how are we supposed to feel about the Givonim? and about their plan, their behavior. Do we see this as a particularly conniving, evil, subversive act? And are the givonim, in a word, bad? Or are we supposed to be sympathetic to them? Should we feel that these people are desperate, they want peace, and they did what was necessary to achieve it? I wouldn't say that in this interpretation the givonim are good, But they are sympathetic characters. And to me, to my mind, you may disagree, but I believe that we should read them in a more sympathetic light. Before we get there, I think that perhaps these two readings of the Givonim hangs on their introduction to us. Allow me to explain. The parak opens with the Canaanite kings forming this alliance, and then we're told that the Givonim heard about what Yehoshua did to Yericho and I. And it says, Vaya'asu gamhema be'arama. That they too acted with guile. And it's unclear who they're being compared with, right? Vaya'asu gamhema. They also acted with guile. Was it that the kings of Kinaan made an alliance to fight the Israelites? And the Givonim also had a scheme of their own. And it was tricking the Jewish people. This was their means of attacking and undermining the Bnei Israel. And If you read Vayasu Gamhema as being a reference to the Canaanite king, so then this frames the Givonim as being bad. That's the negative, less charitable reading of the Givonim. Alternatively, we could say that Yehoshua acted with guile in the way that he fought Yericho and Ai, and the Givonim likewise acted with guile. Listen, guile is guile. Trickery is never going to be the morally preferred route. But if you frame it as, uh, you know, they acted just like the Bnei Israel, that's a pretty good precedent for them to be following. And that sets us up to have a more positive reading of the Givonim. As I said, my tendency is to read them in the more positive light. And that's for a few reasons. Firstly, I think that the overall treatment of the Givonim in this parak is quite sympathetic. When their deceit is discovered... They say la Hashem Es Because it was they, they they're justifying themselves that they did this because it was told to them that to, to your servant so they're they're already being um you know, subjugating themselves to the Jewish people, it was told to your servant that Hashem commanded Moshe his servant to To give all of this land uh, to the Jewish people and to completely destroy and annihilate all of its inhabitants. And, And we were incredibly frightened by your presence because of you. And so we did this thing. That's why we engaged in this trickery. And if that doesn't make you feel sympathetic enough to them, they then say, Look, we're we're in your hands. Whatever you think is right, you can do. Meaning, if you want to honor this promise, good. And if you don't want to honor this promise, so then you'll destroy us. But, I'm not sure how you can read those psukim and not feel sympathetic for what the givonim did here. It was a last-ditch effort to save themselves, to save their families, to save their city. Additionally, Yehoshua then goes about cursing the givonim to say that you're going to be the the, the water schleppers and the and the wood But he specifies even in this blessing that it's going to be for the mizbeach. It's going to be for the mishkan, for the beis hamikdash, which is really quite a distinction. It's it's an honor to be able to even be the water schlepper. And the woodchopper for the Mikdash. And then if we broaden the lens a little bit, and we, we follow the career of the Givonim, who later are called the Nisi Nim, uh, we'll find that they actually remain loyal members of, of, of Klal Yisrael. In, in their status, they don't intermarry. They, they stay in their, in their uh, kind of caste, if you will. But they remain loyal uh, to the B'nai Yisrael. And they con- they continue to to serve in the mikdash, and then we're told in the book of Ezra that they are among those who are exiled uh, from uh, from Yehuda uh, after the destruction of the first mikdash, and then we're told in Nehemiah that they are among those who return to Yerush- to Jerusalem at the end of the first exile, and so putting all these pieces together, the subtle textual cues the nature of the curse, quote unquote, which is to say it's, it's not such a terrible curse. It's actually kind of a distinction. And then if you add into that the way that these people remain loyal for the centuries that follow, I think we emerge with a more positive view of the givonim. But you can, of course, form your own opinion. And I uh, would much appreciate if you sent me an email. Either you disagree, you agree, any sort of textual proof Uh, that uh, you think bodes well for your case, please do send that my way. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.